Money, 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 money. An ephemeral concept that shapes and sometimes even dominates our lives. With more and more of our day-to-day transactions becoming digital in some way, shape, or form, it's not uncommon to go for days at a time without touching cash. But when we do, do we ever stop to think about who or what is on our money? Check money is pretty pretty, but just who is that bewhiskered fellow on the thousand crown note or that evocative and mysterious woman on the back of the 500? What's that church on the 10 crown coin? This episode of Prague Times tells stories of the things and people on the money, past and present, of the Czech Republic and former Czechoslovakia. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, it's ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. As Henry Miller wrote, to walk in money through the night crowd, protected by money, lulled by money, dulled by money, the crowd itself a money, the breath money, no least single object anywhere that is not money, money, money everywhere and still not enough, and then no money, or little money, or less money, or more money, but money, always money, and if you have money, or you don't have money, it is the money that counts, and money makes money, but what makes money make money? Answering that question is a little beyond the scope of this, but we can talk about Czech money, which is known as the Czech crown or koruna. Most locals shorten this to KC, but the official international abbreviation is CZK. What a country puts on its money can sometimes tell you a lot about the story that that country tells itself about itself. Let's take a look at the coins first. Today we have coins for 1, 2, 5, 10, 20, and 50 crowns. The more they increase in value, the bigger and heavier they get. This makes sense. The one crown coin is a milled edge nickel plated steel coin 20 millimeters across weighing 3.6 grams. On one side there's the Czech lion and on the other side there's the value, a 1, and the crown of St. Wenceslaus. The Czech lion, or the lion of Bohemia, is rampant, which means it's standing on its back legs, four paws raised, ready to strike, and wearing a golden crown. The lion's tail is doubled or forked. This little guy is on all our coins, and yes, he did say rar. But why a lion? No one really knows. Some think Vladislav II received this symbol from Frederick Barbarossa when he was first crowned king of Bohemia, a reminder that Czech soldiers fought like lions when they campaigned with the Holy Roman Emperor in 1158. But why the two tails? It might come from Ottokar II, who used the double-tailed lion to signal he was the second king of Bohemia, though actually he was the fifth, but the second after the Golden Bowl of Sicily conferred hereditary rights to the kings of Bohemia. So maybe he meant second as in he was the younger one. And maybe he just added that forked tail to the already existing Czech lion upon his coronation in 1261. Doubling of things like heads or tails in heraldry often signaled highest status, but sometimes also intimated the possession of supernatural powers. 
The crown of St. Wenceslaus is part of the Bohemian crown jewels made by Charles IV for his coronation in 1346, dedicating it to the patron saint of the Czech lands. Only the rightful ruler of Bohemia may wear the crown, says legend, and any usurpers who put it on will be dead before the year is out. During the Nazi occupation, Reinhard Heydrich, who was put in charge of the Protectorate of Bohemia Moravia, put it on in partly in jest, but also kind of partly not, and he was assassinated less than a year later. That'll teach him. The two-crown coin has the Czech lion on one side, and the other has a big two, plus an image of a button jewel from the Great Moravian Empire. This 22.5 millimeter across 3-point gram-weighing coin is not round, but a hendetakon, an 11-sided figure. Coins of similar shape include the Indian two-rupee coin and the Canadian dollar coin, known there affectionately as the loony. In addition to the lion, the five-crown coin has the number five and the Charles Bridge going over the Voltava River. There's also a leaf from a linden tree, which represents peace, friendship, prosperity, and good luck. Linden trees are important to both Czechs and Germans. In Slovakia, there's a 700-year-old linden tree, the tree of King Maciej, which is one of the oldest trees in this entire region. All three of these coins are nickel-plated steel and silver in color. The next three denominations replaced old notes from the days of Czechoslovakia. The 10-crown coin is copper-plated steel. It shows the Cathedral of St. Peter and Paul, one of the dominant things on the skyline of Brno, the second city of the Czech Republic. This is 24.5 millimeters across and weighs 7.62 grams. The 20-crown coin is brass-plated steel and is a tridecagon, a 13-sided polygon. It shows a horse from the Wenceslas statue on Wenceslas Square here in Prague, a common meeting point for Praguers. An inscription begs St. Wenceslas not to kill us or our future. I assume this is some sort of a protection spell rather than responding to any direct threat Wenceslas seems to be making to the Czech people. The 50 crown coin is the biggest, 27.5 millimeters across and a hefty 9.7 grams. It's two-toned, an outer ring of copper-plated steel surrounding an inner circle of brass-plated steel. It has a view of Prague Castle from the old town side of the river with the Charles Bridge in the foreground and an inscription that reads Praga Mater Urbium, or Prague, Mother of Towns. When the 50 crown coins originally came out, they were a big hit. It was kind of fun. You could actually buy a kind of a cheap lunch and a beer for 50 crowns. And it was just satisfying to just eat and drink and then toss down the chunky coin in payment. However, a later batch was made somewhat poorly and the brass plated setters kept popping out. They had to recall all of them and reinstate the old 50 crown notes until they could fix the problem. And then they got rid of the notes and now the 50 crown coins are common. Now we get into the notes, or bills, if you're an American. Currently in circulation, we have notes in the following denominations. 100, 200, 500, 1,000, 2,000, and 5,000. The 100-crown note is mainly green and pink, with a rather tired-looking Charles IV on the front, along with a bit of Gothic decoration, and the seal of Charles University on the back, with a letter K for Karel, which is how Czechs say the word Charles. In a public contest a few years ago, Charles IV was chosen as the number one greatest Czech of all time. Well, actually, the fictional character Yara Simmerman won, but the organizers decided that the winner had to be a real person, and so Chuck took top slot. 
So basically, this is an all Chuck Four note, since he's the one that started Charles University in 1347, or rather he asked his pal Pope Clement VI to issue a papal bull establishing a university in Prague, which Clement did for Charles since he was Holy Roman Emperor as well as King of Bohemia, and he moved the capital of the empire here to Prague. The next year, Charles gave the official okay as King of Bohemia, and the year after that, again, in his role as Holy Roman Emperor. University opened its doors in 1349, making it the 10th oldest university in continuous operation in Europe. The seal of the university shows a kneeling Charles IV handing a folded charter to a standing St. Wenceslaus, with symbols of both parties present, as well as a big W for Wenceslaus, just to make sure that you get the point. During the occupation and during World War II, the Nazis stole the university symbol as well as the rector's chain, the scepters for various faculties, and most of the university's founding documents. These have never been recovered. On the back of the note, there's also a small Czech coat of arms, which is also on the back of all Czech crown notes. The 200 crown note is orange and brown, showing Jan Amos Komensky, or John Amos Komenius, on the front. Komenius was a philosopher and pedagogue considered to be the father of modern education, not just in the Czech lands, everywhere. He was the first one to call for general education available to anyone, and he introduced such innovations as textbooks with pictures written in the local language instead of just in Latin, teaching material in a series of graded stages, emphasizing logical and critical thinking instead of just memorizing data, and he pushed for equal access to education for children in poverty and for women. On the back of the note, there's an adult's hand reaching out to touch a child's hand. And yes, it kind of looks like Michelangelo's famous Sistine Chapel ceiling with God reaching out to give Adam a little tickle. But actually, this image is from a 1658 children's textbook by Kaminsky called Orbis Pictus, or The Visible World in Pictures, a book that became the default textbook for educating children throughout Europe for hundreds of years. On the back, there's also an image of a book since Kaminsky wrote textbooks. Kaminsky was known throughout Europe as the Teacher of Nations, and in that contest a few years ago, he got fourth place on the greatest Czechs list. Chuck Four was first, then T.G. Masaryk, Václav Havel, and then Kaminsky. The 500 crown note is pink and brown with Božena Němcova on the front next to a pink rose. She got number 10 on the greatest Czechs list and is the highest ranked woman. She was an influential writer during the late years of the Czech National Revival in the 19th century. Her most famous work is the novel Babička, or Grandmother, published in 1855, and is hands down the most popular Czech book ever produced. This was one of only two novels she wrote. Her main output was Fairy Tales and Legends, which she wrote and also collected from Bohemia, Moravia, Silesia, and Slovakia, reminding Czechs and Slovaks of their unique history, apart from the heavy hand of the German speakers who had been ruling them for 250 years, or Hungarians in the case of the Slovaks. She was born in Vienna, probably around 1820, and moved as a child to the East Bohemian village of Ratibocica. She married a gruff, humorless customs officer when she was 17 who was constantly in trouble at work because he was a very vocal Czech patriot and eventually this cost him his livelihood. The couple had little in common, he being 15 years older and rather authoritarian in his attitudes towards how husbands and wives should behave. 
The unhappy couple had four children and were extremely poor. They eventually separated, Bozhina possibly starting up an affair with the poet Václav Nebeský, and then dying in Prague at the age of 41, destitute. Czech patriots who celebrated her writings gave her a lavish funeral and had her interred at Vyšehrad Cemetery, which is a veritable who's who of the Czech past. Some thought that she might have been the illegitimate daughter of a German noble Princess Wilhelmina, Duchess of Sagan. Others think she might have been that woman's niece. Wilhelmina certainly had supported Bozhina's family when she was a child, and the lady makes it into Babichka as a sort of idealized perfect woman. But all of this, honestly, is speculation. On the back of the 500 crown note is a female character that's kind of a mixture of all the female characters in Nemtsova's writings, uh, a mashup of idealized Czech femininity. There is also a stylized rose image on the back. The 1,000 crown note is violent and features František Palacki on the front with an eagle rising up over the archbishop's castle in Kormerzij. Palacki was a politician and historian, one of the key figures in the Czech national revival. He was born in Moravian Silesia in the village of Hodslavica, about 50 kilometers south of Ostrava, and moved to Prague when he was 25. He edited Časopis Českého Muzea, the journal of the Bohemian Museum, and after a 10-year battle to get the post, eventually became historiographer of Bohemia. He wrote History of the Czech Nation in Bohemia and Moravia, which traced events up to the year 1526, which is when he said the Czechs essentially lost their independence. This is when the Habsburg King Ferdinand tried to marginalize the Bohemian state's powers within the empire and started persecuting both the Hussite variety of Christianity and the Czech language. Palaski had frequent run-ins with the German-speaking police, since what he was writing about was essentially illegal. After the largely unsuccessful revolution of 1848, he entered politics, getting appointed to the Reichstag here, which met in the eastern Moravian town of Kromerzij. That town is talked about at length in a previous episode of this podcast about UNESCO sites. He became the leader of the Czech National Federal Party, the Staroceshi, and agitated for Bohemia, Moravia, and Silesia to split off from the Austrian Empire and become its own kingdom. Along with Charles IV, who is on the 100-crown note, and T.G. Masaryk, who is on the 5,000-crown note, he is considered one of the three fathers of the nation, and he made number 15 on the 100 Greatest Czechs list. There's a fantastic statue to him on Palatskohonomiesti, which is named after him, but nicknamed by some local bloggers as Hyde Park because public meetings may be held in this square any day between 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. without prior notice or a permit. The square is also near a bridge, which is also named after him. The 9-meter-high Art Nouveau sculpture was made by sculptor Stanislav Sucharda and the architect Alois Dryak in 1912, depicting a granite palatsky sitting in a chair made of angular features, sort of representing steadfastness but also reason, and behind him is the inscription Svemu Buditeli Avutsi Vizkshishini Narod, to his awakener and leader, the Risen Nation. Surrounding him and all along the back of the work, which is where most of the detail is, there are mythical figures sort of representing the titans who rose up against the gods, and as such they are also unbridled emotions, but they also represent the oppression of the Czech nation, especially the two-headed figure that is trying to strangle its victim, while the spirit of the people tries to rise up. 
The fallen winged woman near the back represents the defeat at the Battle of Bilahora or White Mountain in 1620, which cemented Austrian Catholic rule here for almost 300 years. This is my favorite statue in Prague, and I highly recommend you check it out. The lady on the front of the green 2000 crown note is the late 19th, early 20th century opera soprano Emmy Destin, a native Prager who became famous throughout Europe and went on to join the New York Metropolitan Opera. In 1914, just as World War I was beginning, she returned here only to get her passport revoked because she had been part of the patriotic Czech resistance abroad. She was then imprisoned in a chateau where she waited out the war. Embittered, she left the country in 1919 when the war was over, returning to New York, though poor health meant that her voice was not what it once was, and while she sang with the Met until 1921, she was greatly diminished in the eyes of her audience, or rather ears. Two years later, she once again came back here to the now new country of Czechoslovakia, married a Czech Air Force officer, and then suffered a stroke in Česka Budivica just before her 52nd birthday. She reached number 26 on the 100 Greatest Czechs list, and out of the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, there is an asteroid named after her, asteroid 6583 Destin. It's a sad but musical tale for the 2000 crown note. On the back, you can see Euterpe, the muse of music from Greek mythology, as well as two violins and a big D for her name, Destine. There's also an icon of a lyre. And finally, the not very commonly found 5000 crown note. This dark blue and violet note has T.G. Masaryk on it, the first president of Czechoslovakia. This statesman, philosopher, and sociologist got number two on the 100 Greatest Czechs list, and it was through his efforts, along with Milan Rostislav Stefanik and Edvard Benesch, that Czechoslovakia got its independence after World War I. Someday he'll get a whole episode all his own. On the back of the note, there are some Gothic and Baroque buildings, notably St. Vitus Cathedral. The largest church in the country, St. Vitus, was begun in 1344, but not finished until 1929. Over those 585 years, it ended up with elements from every major architectural style from late Gothic up to and including Art Nouveau. It's where most of the former kings of Bohemia are buried. It is the 17th largest church in Europe, if we include the UK, but 15th if we don't, and they left the EU, so forget them. It's the 27th largest in the whole world. So that's the currency currently in circulation. Now you may sometimes hear long timers and locals talk about the old money, and so we'll take a little walk through the past of Czech currency as well. While we now only have coins for 20 and 50, we once had notes, and in much of the 90s and noughties, the bills and coins continued to exist side by side. The 20 crown note was blue and had the Przemyslid Otrokar I, Duke of Bohemia, who became the first king of Bohemia in 1198 and retained the right to pass that title onto his heirs from the golden bowl issued by the Pope in 1212 at the behest of the Holy Roman Emperor. More about all this in a previous history episode, then long live the king again. Ottokar got number 71 on the greatest checks list. On the back, there were images of the Golden Bull. Golden Bull, by the way, is a document that conferred kingship as well as Ottokar's crown, which is shown in a stylized, iconic form. 
The 50 crown note was pink, some say red, but it was pink. The front depicted St. Agnes of Bohemia, number 20 on the greatest checks list. She was Ottokar I's daughter, betrothed to the Holy Roman Emperor's 10-year-old son when she was eight. But she refused to play in these royal reindeer wedding games and instead beseeched the Pope to allow her to devote her whole life to spirituality and good works. He agreed, and she founded the first hospital in Bohemia, the Hospital of St. Francis, in 1232. After conversation with some visiting Franciscan monks, she heard of Claire of Assisi and her Order of Poor Ladies, sort of a woman's version of a monastic order, and here in Prague founded the first order of the Poor Clares north of the Alps, which continued in operation until 1782. She was officially made a saint of the Catholic Church in 1848 by Pope Pius IX, though she had been informally worshipped for centuries before that. On the back of the 50-crown note, there was part of the ceiling of St. Salvatore's Church, which is part of the hospital and convent complex here in Prague that she founded. The convent of St. Agnes is now part of the National Gallery, with a rich summer program of free exhibitions and events, and a pretty interesting of small sculpture garden. Of course, there was money during the days of communist Czechoslovakia as well. The new Czech Republic currencies only started getting issued in 1994. There were notes for 10, 20, 50, 100, 200, and 1,000 crowns. Some were in Czech and others were in Slovak. The 10-crown note was brown and in Slovak, depicting Slovak dramatist and translator Pavel Orsog Fjezdoslav, who was also in the Slovak parliament at the time. Actually, that was his pseudonym. He was actually just born Pavel Orsog, or Paul Country. Orsog was a Hungarian name for the word country. He added the Vyazdoslav, meaning either Slav of the Stars or celebrating the stars because, well, he felt like it. He originally wrote in Hungarian, just as Bohemia and Moravia were under the German-speaking Austrian thumb for centuries. The Slovaks were in a similar situation with the Hungarians, but then found the fire of Slovak national pride burning in his heart and switched to Slovak as his preferred language. He wrote what he called reflexive poetry, a sort of hyper-realistic style that the older generations greatly disliked. He went on to write several epics based on stories from his native region and from the Bible, two dramatic works for the stage, translated Goethe, Schiller, Pushkin, Lermontov, and Shakespeare into Slovak. He has a square named after him in the Slovak capital of Bratislava, and a whole village in the southwest Slovak region of Trnava named after him, Havjezdoslavov. The back of the 10-crown note featured a scene from the Orova region in northern Slovakia, which is where Havjezdoslav was born. The 20-crown note was blue and showed Jan Amos Kominski, the guy who's on today's 200-crown note. This note was in Czech, and the back had the tree of knowledge rising from a book, an atom, scholars reading, and other intellectual images. The 50-crown note went back to Slovak again and had Ludovic Štur on the front. The Slovak revolutionary writer, poet, journalist, teacher, philosopher, linguist, and politician is credited with standardizing the Slovak language in the mid-10th century. He is considered one of the most important Slovaks of all time. There is even a monument to him on Jofin Island here in Prague. The back of the note showed a picture of Bratislava, specifically the old town and the castle, which has been nicknamed by locals the upside-down bed. It's actually a view from the restaurant at the top of the 84-meter-high pylon on the new bridge, or Novi Most, which used to be called Most SNP after the failed Slovak national uprising, which is when they tried to throw off the Nazi puppet state during the Nazi period, only to find that all the allied folks who promised to help them didn't, and they failed. 
This bridge is easily one of the ugliest bridges in all of Europe. A tragedy compounded by the fact that despite the Nazi puppet state setting up there in World War II, the Jewish quarter was actually fairly well preserved until the communists bulldozed it in the mid-1960s to build this stupid, ugly bridge. Most SMP was renamed New Bridge from 1993 until 2012, and now it is called Most SMP again. The restaurant at the top of the pylon is called UFO. See our YouTube channel for a video version of this bridge, and you will know why it's called the UFO. The Czech language 100 crown note was green and very commie. The front showed a stoic peasant couple holding some wheat, while the back was a view of the Voltava River, the Charles Bridge, and Prague Castle in the background. It's exactly the view from the Old Town side just south of Club Lafka, where tons of tourists take pictures. In fact, that spot is officially known on Google Maps as Most Beautiful Spot in Prague, Ne Krasnejši Misto v Praze. The 500 crown note went back to Slovak, showing fighters from the SMP on the front looking ready for anything, because I had no idea they were going to get screwed over, while on the back is Devin Castle, which sits on the Slovak side of the Danube across from Austria, and also the Slovak side of the Morava River across from Moravia. This is in the town of Devin, which is essentially a western suburb of Bratislava, the capital. The castle's super iconic looking, with the current ruin dating from as far back as the 9th century, though the hill may have been settled since Neolithic times. A lot of the damage we see today is more than just time and weather. It was actually blown up in 1809 during the Napoleonic Wars. And then the Czechs got the highest denomination back in the not-so-good-old days, the blue 1,000-crown note, which showed composer Bedřich Smetana, who was an important figure during the 19th-century National Revival, writer of the symphonic poem Ma Vlast, or My Country, which is kind of an unofficial national anthem. The Voltava section of that work is the main musical motif used in this podcast. Smetana got 11th on the greatest Czechs list. The back of the note showed an old image of what Vyshahrad Castle once looked like. This is the second castle in Prague, and while some people say that it's older than Prague Castle, it isn't. These notes I've just talked about were all issued in the 1980s and replaced even earlier versions. For three years, between 1970 and 73, the 20-crown note had Jan Zizka on the front, the one-eyed Hussite general who is one of only eight military leaders in recorded history to have never lost a battle. This note replaced an earlier 25-crown note that also had Jan Zizka on it, with Jan Zizka Square in the town of Tabor on the back, and that note was in circulation from 1962 to 1972. In the 60s, the 50-crown note showed an SMP partisan standing side-by-side side with a Russian soldier, wishful thinking it would seem, and the Slovnoft refinery in Bratislava in the back. This is an oil refinery that produces motor fuel, fuel oil, and petrochemical products. Also in the 60s, there was a 10-crown note showing two young girls, one a peasant and one part of a communist youth organization, holding some flowers with a factory in the distance, and on the back, there was a view of the Orova Reservoir in northern Slovakia, which is now the largest lake in that country. There were also five and even one-crown notes back in the 50s and early 60s. During and right after World War II, the whole currency situation was in a mess and what was legal tender kind of depended on who was in the driver's seat. However, that golden age of Czechoslovakia, known as the First Republic, had some beautiful banknotes designed by the, one of the fathers of Art Nouveau himself, Alphonse Mucha, who was a Moravian but made his name in Paris. 
The designs they settled on were poor shadows of some of his original designs, however. You can see many of the originals in the Mucha Museum, link in the episode notes. These notes were in Hungarian on the front and German on the back. No Czech, no Slovak. Denominations were 10, 20, 50, 100, and 1,000. And the notes were only legal tender if they had an official stamp affixed to them. Under communism, coins had a combination of the Czech coat of arms and the coat of arms of the Czechoslovak Socialist Republic. And yes, there really was such a thing. This was the Czech lion saying rar with the coat of arms of Slovakia on it and a five-pointed red star on its head instead of a crown representing the Communist Party. The coins also had images of a woman planting lindens, a hammer and sickle, an abstract image of flowers and ribbons, another image of flowers and cranes, and leafy wreaths. In 1990, just after the Velvet Revolution, a new bronze 10-crown coin was issued with Masaryk on the back. And then the next year, it was replaced by Milan Rostislav Stefanik, a Slovak pilot, astronomer, and diplomat who was the first minister of war in the First Republic. And then in 1992, it was again replaced with Alois Rashin, a Czech economist and the first minister of finance during the First Republic. They finally discontinued the coin in 1993. But what about the euro? Slovakia adopted it in 2009, which is a bit of a shame because their post-velvet divorce money was truly beautiful to look at. There are currently 27 countries in the EU, 19 of which are in the eurozone, and another four weird little sub-states that use the euro by monetary agreement. These are Andorra, Monaco, San Marino, and Vatican City. And then there's Kosovo and Montenegro, who just decided they would use the euro anyway without permission. But what about the Czechs? Technically, we are bound by treaty to eventually replace the Czech crown with the euro. But first, we have to satisfy the euro convergence criteria as set out in the treaty of accession that made us part of the EU in 2004. Some think that our politicians and the Czech National Bank, who regulates the crown, have kind of made sure that we just don't meet those criteria and then the issue never comes up. But once we do meet those criteria, which are boring but involve things like long-term interest rates and budget deficit and inflation and, and debt to GDP ratios and exchange rate stability, then we must adopt the euro. As of June 2020, we've met only two of the five requirements. Our inflation rate's pretty good, an average of 2.7 annually on the harmonized index of consumer prices, and our long-term interest rates are also pretty good at 3.54%. Once we've met all five of the requirements, we then have to become a member of the European Exchange Rate Mechanism for two years and then adopt the euro. We are currently not a member of the European Exchange Rate Mechanism. So we are in the EU and also in the Schengen Zone, but not part of the Eurozone. And one of those funny little twists of fate that makes history so interesting, it was the UK that pushed for a multi-speed, sort of choose-what-you-like buffet style of EU expansion, and then they went off and left the EU. Czechs remain a bit Euroskeptical on the whole, and certainly when it comes to the currency topic. In 2019, only 20% of Czechs thought it would be a good idea to take on the Euro, while 75% were actively opposed. A poll taken in April 2021 has seen the yays rise to 39%, however, and the hard nays drop to 60%. So perhaps support is growing. At least that's according to one poll, but another poll has different numbers. Go figure. No matter which poll you look at, though, we are currently the least supportive country of the euro in the entire EU. Why? What's the problem? 
Partly, it's the European debt crisis, which started in 2009 after the whole worldwide banking crisis brought on by the subprime mortgages and the like in the U.S. and other countries. Suddenly, the Eurozone didn't look so promising as countries like Greece just defaulted on everything, and the rest of Europe learned that, hey, Greeks don't like to pay taxes, so they don't. Some Czech politicians of the time suggested that maybe we should have a popular referendum on the question of the euro, but others made political hay by simply opposing this. One thing you'll hear people say is that prices go up when a country adopts the euro. Well, yes and no. It depends on how it's handled. In Germany, for example, who were part of the first group of 11 countries who made the switch back on January 1st, 1999, the initial exchange rate was something like two Deutschmarks to one euro. But still riding high on Helmut Kohl's legacy, those greedy capitalists pull the fast one on the populace. And so, if a cup of coffee was two Deutschmarks, that should have been changed to one euro. But they didn't. They just changed the currency symbol. So the price went from two Deutschmarks to two euros, which is a doubling of the price. And yet, wages were strictly tied to exchange rates. So essentially, consumer goods overnight became twice as expensive at least for a while, and then things evened out and eventually equalized. In Spain, they had something similar. The initial exchange rate was something like 160 pesetas to the euro, and so places just changed their prices as if the exchange rate was 200 pesetas to the euro. So yes, prices did go up in those countries, but it's not really the euro's fault, but rather greed heads. Austria took a completely different approach. The government said all new listed prices would be strictly tied to the actual exchange rate between the shilling and the euro, and any place that cheated would be fined very, very heavily, though they were allowed to round up a little bit. And then, and here's the kicker, they sent people around to check and made examples of a few businesses who tried to pull a fast one. So, the transition to the euro in Austria went quite smoothly. This shows that while it takes government oversight to make it happen, adopting the euro need not be a scary and painful process for a populace. Or businesses could just try not to rip people off, but I suppose that's probably asking too much of people. So while we aren't there yet and don't seem particularly inclined to get there, the Czech Republic will join the eurozone and get rid of the Czech crown one day, just not today. Last thing we'll talk about is, hey, can I use dollars or euros in the Czech Republic? The short answer is no, we use the Czech crown. Having said that, some places here in Prague will accept euros. They will, however, charge you a ridiculous exchange rate, and it is a terrible, terrible idea to do that. What about exchange places? Should I just bring a bunch of cash and then convert it into Czech crowns? No, you should not. Almost all of the exchange places are garbage. There are a couple out there that are somewhat reputable. Check the episode notes for links to the Honest Guide video series. A couple of local fellows who were instrumental in getting a number of the worst exchange places shut down. No, the best thing is to simply bring a bank card and stick it into an ATM and withdraw check crowns. A little trick I like to tell people is, let's say you're going to spend... 4,000 crowns, don't take out 4,000 crowns because it'll just spit out two 2,000 crown notes. And then you want to go buy a beer, which is 50 crowns, and they'll roll their eyes at you. Don't ask for 4,000. Get out 3,800 or 3,500. One little trick that bank machines will do is ask you if you would like to accept their conversion rate. Don't ever do this. This is a trick to scam you out of sometimes a rather large amount of money. Always say no. 
But the fact is, as I said at the beginning, more and more places are accepting cards, and in fact we use the tap cards with the chips, which means that they're contactless as well. Some places, like the Manifesto Food Market, only accept cards. So you could easily come to this city and never actually touch cash at all. However, in the rest of the country, cash is still pretty much king. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it or share it and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been Prague Times.